All right. Um, there's a story that goes like this. There's three kids that grew up, and they became rather successful because of the sacrifices of their mom. So their mom, in their elderly age, they decided, they all got together and decided, we want to do something special for her. Well, Christmas comes around, and they do these gifts, and they're sitting around the Christmas table, and they're kind of bragging about the gifts that they got her, and the first son was like, well, mom needed a house. <clears throat> I've been successful, done really well. I built mom a house. So he builds mom a house, and the other son is like, you know what, that's really cool. Well, I bought her a Mercedes. Uh, she needs a car to drive. And then the third son was like, hey, look, all of you guys, you did something, that's cool, but I got something better than that. I found a parrot that can recite the entire Bible. So mom, in her old age, all she has to do is she has to say a Bible verse, and the parrot can actually read the whole Bible to her. Well, a couple days later, mom, she writes them thank you notes, but she's a little a bit of curmudgeon, so she starts writing. She's like, John, John, thank you for the house. I appreciate the house, but it's rather big, and I'm too old to even get around, and I got to clean the whole thing. So, you know, whatever, but thank you. Jim, the Mercedes, really cool, but you know I don't drive. But you, Andrew, you know me. You know your mom, because that chicken was absolutely delicious. <laughs> well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. That has nothing to absolutely do with nothing with what we're doing. There you go. <laughs> I, I do that because, honestly, some of us come into this room, and there is a little bit of attention, and I want you to know, like, this is going to be a fun day. Uh, but like all good stories, every good story has a beginning and an end. What I want to show you today is that the Bible's no different. The Bible's no different. The Bible is a story. It's a story of hope that has a beginning and the end, but the Christmas story is the bridge that makes the end possible. You see, for many of you, you've probably come, and you, you expect the, the Christmas is going to be a message about Jesus and his birth, or about the wise men, or, or Bethlehem, or Joseph, or the, you know, the manger scene, or, or stars in the sky, and shepherds, and all that stuff is true. But they're all just parts of the story. They're all parts of the story. What I want to show you is I want to show you the entire story. You see, if you're new to Christianity, or if you're just here because grandma told you if you want some of that honey-baked ham, you better get to church, right? I want to connect some of the dots for you. This book, this book called the Bible, the one that we all hold in our hands, um, even if you're not a Christian, is the most historically reliable and incredible piece of literature that's ever been written. If you look at it, it's actually 66 books by, written by 40 different authors over the course of a couple thousand years. And historians will tell you, again, even if you don't believe the Christian message, there's something spectacular about the piece of literature that you hold in your hand. I mean, it, the way that it was comprised with authors dating back thousands of years that didn't know one another and yet were able to write a cohesive message from beginning to end that actually has a storyline throughout is quite incredible. Uh, that's what I want to show you today. I want to show you how every piece of the puzzle fits together, how the dots are all connected, and how the Christmas story makes it all possible. So the Bible, it actually begins in the very beginning in the book of Genesis, which means beginning, with these most beautiful poetic words, in the beginning God created. That, that word there, it's it really ex nihilo, out of nothing God created, and he created this world to be perfect in every way. He created you and I to be together with him in perfect unity. Out of nothing God created everything that was good, and it was all a reflection of his creative goodness. You see, he didn't just create the world, but he actually, at the end of that, created you and I. He created us in his image. Again, the word there is, is that we are his imago Dei. We are a direct reflection, a mirror 
back into when you look at humanity, you're supposed to see a picture of God. You see, in the beginning, in this book, where the authors began this book, Moses wants you to know that the storyline begins with really two things. One is that God created this world for you and I to live in, in perfection, with him, in perfect unity, with no hurt or sorrow or pain. It was supposed to be perfect. But then he also created you and I to be what we call as co-creators in this world. That's the beautiful thing is that the reason why you feel the way that you do whenever you get up to go to work or you feel like you've come alive doing the thing that you were meant to do is because something inside of you was meant to create. You were supposed to reflect God in that way. You were supposed to do what you're doing, and yet it all fell apart, didn't it? You keep reading Genesis chapter 3, what you'll see is things took a turn for the worse. People whom God created looked at their creator and said, you know what, we can take it from here. And then the rest of the Old Testament is this spiraling of destruction. The entire Old Testament is a a storyline, a cyclical pattern of God chasing after his people and his people continuing to look back at God and saying, we don't need you. We don't need you. Like in Genesis, right after Genesis chapter 3, we get this story called the Tower of Babel. Where, where you see God's people doing what they were meant to do. They're architecting, they're creating, except they're creating something to become their own God. They're trying to run up to God when God says, no, the whole point is I wanted to come down to you. Which led to, after that, you get the story of Joseph. And Joseph's brothers are so jealous of Joseph, so they sell him into slavery. And so the Pharaoh in Egypt takes him in because God is orchestrating things. But that leads to God's people leaving the land that they were meant to be in, and they find themselves in Egypt. From Egypt, they become enslaved by the next pharaoh, and and God takes a man named Moses, and he takes them out of slavery by parting the Red Sea, doing some pretty miraculous things, getting them on the other side to the place that they were supposed to be, a place called Jericho. And in Jericho, a guy named Joshua takes over, and Joshua, he's there to structure the place that God's people are supposed to be. And then after Joshua, God sends these guys named Judges to come and be with God's people, to tell them the way, to, to create rules. And if If you're a parent at all, you know not all rules are restricting, right? Some rules are freeing. They actually help you to live in this world the way that it was designed. But these judges become like broken saviors. They're they're after their own good, and, and you see the spiral continue to the point where the people say, hey, we want a king. And God looks at the people, and he's like, but I'm your king, and if you'll just follow me, things will go well for you. They, they, because they're short-sighted, they find the tall, handsome guy, like he's on the next bachelor, and we all know how that goes when you find that guy, and they make him the king. His name's Saul. Saul doesn't do great things until the point in which God sends a prophet to a man named David's house and tells David's dad that the next king's going to come from him. Now, David is so unassuming that his dad doesn't even bring him to the party. He's still in the shepherd's den, watching after the sheep. And when, when the, the prophet says, yeah, but there's got to be another, David shows up. He's like, that's the king, the most unassuming one. David becomes the king. He fights Goliath, if you've ever heard the children's story. And David does some really cool things until he does the one thing that we all know you can't do. He set his eyes on another man's wife. Well, at that point, he decides to send her wife away to war. His name's Uriah. And then he takes Bathsheba, the woman, as his wife. They have a son named Solomon. And Solomon's son is a train, or his life is a train wreck. He writes his magnum opus of his life, the book of Ecclesiastes, to where his main point is, everything is meaningless. It's all meaningless. Everything under the sun is meaningless. 
Well, Solomon, if you didn't know this, is the great, 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 great grandfather to Jesus. So it's really cool how that all lines up. But then after Solomon, they, they start fighting with each other, and there's a civil war in Israel. So now the nation's divided, where you have the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. They keep fighting. The northern kingdom gets conquered by Assyria, the southern kingdom by Babylon. Eventually, the Persians take over, and it's just a train wreck. Depressing, right? Not really the story you thought that you were coming to Christmas to hear. Well, that keeps going on and on until you get to the very last words of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, and here's what he says in verse 4, chapter 4. Behold, I will send to you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children, and the hearts of their children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. After those last words were spoken, the very next page in your Bible is the book of Matthew, except there's 400 years of silence in between. 400 years of silence, no more prophets, no more speaking, no more nothing. Again, depressing. But if there's anything redeemable about that, many of you are about to walk into the new year with a Bible reading plan, and I just did the entire Old Testament for you, so there you go. Here's the connection. People in the Bible aren't any different than you and I. The entire point of the Old Testament is, is we've tried it our way. For thousands of years we tried it our way, and it fails. I mean, seriously. Anybody ever did it? I have. I've tried over and over and over again to be my own savior, only to find that I'm always disappointing myself. I never live up to my own standard, much less the one that I set for other people, which tends to be higher than the one that I have for myself. And it's continual broken saviors. See, all of us need significance like they did. All of us fight for power. We all struggle with lust, don't we? And we think that we know best. Here's the deal is we all need a rescuer. That book of the Old Testament, the, the, those those books that you tend to skip right over are supposed to be a mirror back into your own life to show you and I that we all need a savior. So after 400 years of silence, God does the unthinkable. He speaks. He speaks, but he doesn't speak through prophets. He doesn't speak through opening the clouds. He speaks by becoming his own creation. Let that sink in for a second. The God who created would condescend himself to become his creation. See, instead of chasing after you and I, he says, I will no longer do that. I will become. That's what Christmas is. Christmas is meaning. Christmas is God becoming a savior. It's the way that God entered into our mess to fix our greatest problem. So Matthew. Matthew is the very first book in the New Testament. Matthew begins with Jesus' genealogy. A bunch of names that you probably can't pronounce and you don't know where they came from. And yet, all of those names are pretty cool. They're cool because they're not the names that you would ever give to a king. When a king starts off a genealogy, he has dignitaries in it. And yet, this one has names like Bathsheba, the woman who David had an affair with, or Rahab, the prostitute, or evil kings. And he's showing you this. He's showing you that Jesus came so that anybody, no matter where you've been, no matter your background or what you've done, can be a part of this family. Matthew takes it one step further that shows you that Jesus' lineage goes all the way back to a man named Abraham. 
If you look in Genesis chapter 15, God makes a promise to a man named Abraham, and that promise is that one day he'll have a son. Now keep in mind, Abraham's 100 years old. You do the math on that one. And he does have a son. He has a son named Isaac. Isaac literally means in Hebrew, son of laughter, because he thought that God was nuts. And he says that this son will have a son who will have a son who will have a son who will have a son. And eventually he'll have descendants that outnumber the stars in the sky because he'll have a son that will be the Savior. You know what Matthew's showing you there? That God always makes good on his promises. Because for many of us, we walk into this room today and we need to know that God hasn't forgotten about us. Don't we? Don't we need to know over the last two years? And I don't know if you've turned on the news this week. If you haven't, don't. Um, but things seem to be out of control again. And don't we need to know that, that maybe, just maybe, God knows what he's doing, that God makes good on his promises? Well, that's Matthew. Well, Luke, Luke starts by showing you that Jesus' sweet mother Mary would have her world turned upside down when the angel Gabriel came to her and announced to this poor peasant teenage girl that she would be with child, and he would call, or she would call his name Jesus, which means the rescuer. And he will be Christ, Christos, the Lord, Kyrios, which, if you put them together, means the Messiah, the promised one. He would be the one who would save their people. He would be the one that everybody promised. If you go back to Isaiah chapter 7, when God said that there would be a virgin and she would be with child, and that child would be the Savior, talking about Jesus. You go on to John, and John gives you a different spin on it. John says that Jesus is the light of the world. And the idea there is, if you didn't know this, uh, I don't want to blow your mind here, but Jesus wasn't actually born on December 25th. We don't really know when he was born. But the idea is it was the darkest time of the year. So if we had to celebrate Jesus, we wanted to show that light was coming into darkness, and that's what Jesus is. Into the darkness of your world, into what you're experiencing, Jesus came down to bring light into your world. You see, Christmas is about God exposing you in all the greatest ways, and yet with love. That's what light does. It reveals what's there. And what Jesus wants you to see is what's there is somebody worth dying for. Well, since I just did the Old Testament for you, and we all know that we probably quit on our Bible reading plan three weeks into it, let me summarize the entire New Testament for you too. So we'll just do the whole Bible, all right? And you can check it off your list this year, all right? All right, so after 400 years of silence, God speaks. He declares through the angel Gabriel that he's no longer going to chase after us, but he is going to come down. He's going to come down, which, by the way, was always the point. It was always the point. The Bible wasn't supposed to be. And if you pull anything away from this today, here's what I want you to pull. The Christian story is not live a miserable life, pray a prayer, go on with your life, and die one day and go to heaven. That was never the point. The point was that God wanted to bring Christmas down to you. That Christmas is a gift. That God became a man to bring his kingdom down. So the four Gospels, Gospel means good news, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all the story of Jesus' life. And if you didn't know this, all four of them center primarily, about 90%, on the last two weeks of Jesus' life because he wants to make a connection for you. The womb and the tomb go together. The God of the universe came into this world wrapped up and laid down in a manger for a poor peasant girl named Mary, a teenage girl to take care of in the most vulnerable estate. By the way, if you didn't know this, the only other time that those two Greek verbs are used together to be wrapped up and laid down are at his death, where Jesus was wrapped up and laid down in a tomb so that he could raise from the dead three days later to give you life. Here's how. Jesus came to live the perfect life 
that Genesis chapter 1 says that you and I were always supposed to live. The life that you long for, the life that you know you were made for. That's why you say, I know there's got to be more to life than this. Well, then he died the death that you and I were supposed to die in our place so that we wouldn't have to. And when he rose from the dead, he reestablished the relationship that you and I were missing out on. And the only way that's possible is for Jesus to bridge the gap at Christmas. Here, here it is. Jesus, our Christmas, is God making good on his promises. So maybe today, maybe today you're sitting here and you're wondering, God, could you ever love me? Or, or is there any hope for me coming in this building? I, that's what Christmas is. It's because God is holy, perfect, meaning set apart, that, 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 that it demands that he actually cares about justice. You, you get this, right? I, I've often said around here that the only people that want God to just forgive you are people who have never experienced real injustice. Because if you've ever experienced real injustice, the reality is, is you need a God that cares about justice, right? Like nobody wants to find out that their accuser was just let go because the judge had a good day. God's no different. Because he's holy, there had to be a price to be paid for our rebellion, yet because he's loving, he paid the price himself. That's the point of Christmas. He could accomplish both because he wanted to. Christmas is the proof that God loves you. So if you're sitting here today and you wonder, does God love me? Well, the answer is an emphatic yes. He proved his love for you by coming into this world to die in your place. And he proved his power over anything that could ever hurt you by raising from the dead. Now, the next 22 books after the four gospels, the next 22 books, if you're doing the math, are, are these letters written to churches and to other people, primarily by a guy named Paul and a guy named Peter. There's a few other ones written by other people. And, and there, there's a bunch of um, stuff happening there. But, but what, what you see there is that if you were going to, if you're going to summarize the entire Bible, if you're going to summarize the entire Bible, it's this idea of God coming to build a relationship with you. Then comes the most confusing book of the entire Bible, the book of Revelation, the one that we all, like, for some reason have an odd fascination with, but none of us really understand, so we read confusing books about it. Uh, if I can help you here, because I know some of you are going to pick it up and read it, it's actually not that confusing. Let, let me just help you. The book of Revelation is one story sold seven times until it gets to a climax at the end. The way that we'd say this in literature is it's a progressive recapitulation of the same story. So if you actually want to know what the book of Revelation is about, just go read the last two chapters. The whole thing makes sense. All right? Matter of fact, can we do that? I'm going to give you the weirdest Christmas text of all time. Ready? Go grab your Bible and meet me in Revelation chapter 21. That's where we're going to land. Revelation 21. Bet you didn't think you were getting that today, did you? All right, first one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, it passed away, and the sea was no more. See, like all good stories, there's a beginning and an end. But this story isn't about an ending. It's about a new beginning. That's the Christmas story. The Christmas story is the beginning of a new beginning. It's the way that God planned to fix the brokenness of this world. And maybe, again, maybe you just walked in here a little wounded today. The last two years have been so hard that you kind of didn't even walk in here. You limped in here. I get that. I get that. If I'm honest with you, the last week of our life has been just turned upside down. Continual prayer that we would just be able to make it here today because 
All of us have colds and different things, and it feels like the entire world is going through that right now. <laughs> here, 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 though, whatever you've gone through over the last two years, God's answer to your pain and your suffering is Christmas. It's a suffering servant. It's God's kindness that brought you here today because I want you to understand that Christmas is an offer of something deeper. It's the offer of a new beginning. See, here's the picture. Way back in Genesis chapter 1, you see the way that the world was so always supposed to be. Perfect. Perfect. With you enjoying perfect peace with God. And then if you look at Genesis, Revelation chapter 21, the picture is how to get back to that perfection. See, this is really important. If you're anything like me, you were taught that one day you're going to die and be some dismembered soul that just floats up in the clouds singing Chris Tomlin songs all day long. Like, I, no knock on Chris, but I, that's just boring to me. Not only is it boring, it's just not what the Bible says about heaven at all. I, I, the, the, the dominant Western worldview is that this earth is going to burn up anyway, so who cares what you do? Just move on with your life. That's not what the Bible says. If you get anything out of this at all, I want to blow your mind with something. Here's, here's what the Bible actually says. The Bible says that heaven is going to be here. That because of Jesus, you and I will actually be here with him for all of eternity. Look at it again. Look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. And, uh, nope, not that one. That one. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven. The first earth had passed away. You see, it's, it, the idea here is because of Christmas, God came down. And he's coming down to fix the world and to bring it back to the way that it was always supposed to be. You and I with him on this earth, cultivating the earth the way that it is always supposed to be. You know why that's important? Because it means that your life matters. It means that your family matters. What you're going through matters. Your job matters. It's a picture of the Garden of Eden. Again, I told you earlier, if you look at literature, this is the most incredible book ever written. The reason why is because if you actually go read Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, and then you go read Revelation chapter 21, what you'll see is it's a picture of the beginning. There's trees and rivers, like it looks exactly the same. And in the middle is Christmas. The idea there is, and the reason why, by the way, that I did this today, something so different, is because I felt like y'all needed something a little more palatable. Right? Not just a cute Christmas story. We need hope. And you know what this gives you? It gives you hope that God knows what he's doing. It gives you hope that God will fix the world that you and I will actually have eternity, not just floating up on the clouds somewhere, but here, doing what you've always done, enjoying the beauty of God's creation the way that you always have, and yet without sin, without corruption, and without decay. That means that you won't be disappointed anymore. You won't feel hurt or pain anymore, and you'll get to enjoy all the beauty of this earth, and it'll be far better than what you could ever ask or imagine. The perfect Savior, the perfect Savior came to renew this world, not to discard it. He came to renew your life and to give you new life. Do you know why that's so important? Listen to me. Because contrary to popular belief, God didn't get it wrong. It wasn't like any of this is wrong. I, I don't know how, I, and I don't have words to say this, but because we've gone through everything we've gone through, one day when you get to heaven and you get to experience the earth the way it's supposed to be, Jesus is actually going to be even sweeter because you'll experience the joy of your Savior. 
See, somehow, in the most crazy way, the way J.R.R. Tolkien said it, it's one day God's going to make all the sad things become untrue. And we'll see the world the way that it was always supposed to be. In some wild and crazy way, you will actually love God more because of what you've gone through. I, I think that's important because God's not getting it wrong. He didn't get it wrong in your life. Christmas is a reminder that even what you're going through right now, God sees you. That God has something better for you, and it's going to be better than your wildest dreams could ever imagine. And what you do in this life matters. It's not a throwaway. It's not just pray a prayer, go live your cultural Christian life and move on. It's no, God wants to bring you joy now. Let me show you one other little detail in verse 1 that might seem meaningless, but I actually think it's really cool. Then I saw new heaven, new earth, for the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, don't worry. It probably doesn't mean what you think it means. Like, you're actually going to still get to go to 30A in heaven, and it's going to be cool. All right? Which, by the way, can I just tell you that that's actually really cool because you can actually experience the world the way it was supposed to be for all of eternity, which means you don't have to get it all in now. Right? You know, that, that makes like you don't have to have your bucket list now because you're going to get to do that forever. The sea, though, the sea was everything uncertain in life. So when the disciples were on the sea and the storms were raging, it was uncertainty. When, when God parted the Red Sea, it was him showing that he can actually control the uncontrollable. Here's what he's showing you. Not only will there be a new heaven and a new earth, but one day all the uncontrollable forces in this world will be gone. Cancer is a sea that will be no more. Depression. Depression's a sea that will be no more. COVID, by the grace of God, is a sea that will be no more. Abuse is a sea that will be no more. You see, Christmas is the stillness in rough waters of life. That's what it is. Look at verse 2. And then I saw a holy city in New Jerusalem. There it is, coming down. Coming down. God's kingdom's coming down. From heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. See, Christmas is God coming back down. You know, sometimes I, I read this and I kind of get choked up. I get a little emotional because if you really understand what's happening here, if you understand Christmas, it's, it's the loving kindness of God. It's the loving kindness of God because he's going to come down to bring you into his family. I don't know about you, but I think somebody in this room, somebody online needs to hear that today. God's coming down to bring you into his family because all of us come into this room. All of us come into this room carrying something, don't we? Like maybe today you came into the room carrying a broken marriage. And you need to understand that God can fix that. Or you came experiencing sickness and death over the last two years. I mean, mental health and depression is at an all-time high. I read this week that in America we spend on average $250 billion a year on prescription drugs. And antidepressants is only second to cholesterol medicine. Here's another stat. One in 10 people right now in America statistically are on antidepressants, and one in four of us will be in our lifetime. The reality is, is that mental illness is exploding over the last two years. Social media doesn't help because we tend to compare ourselves to everybody else's fake highlight reels. Like, I posted a picture on Instagram this week of my family sitting down with Santa, and I got to admit, it's, it's a pretty good picture. I didn't post the 74 other pictures of us like with thorns coming out of our heads, yelling at each other, spitting all it because we just like, just be quiet, take the one picture so the world thinks we're perfect, right? <laughs> Stop comparing yourselves to other people's highlight reels. Life is hard. 
And it's hard for all of us. And I think for many of us, we don't realize that that's the case or the isolation that the last two years has caused. By the way, there's something sweet about gathering in person, and I'm just so thankful you're here today because we need one another. And I know that it's a risk to come here. It's hard. Like, I get it. The world's hard right now. But we need that. That's what Christmas offers you. It's hope. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Do you see the Genesis 1 language? See it? God and his people together. Now watch this. This this is the one that gets me. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I used to think God's just going to wipe away the tears. But think about the intimacy. My Savior who created, the creator of the universe is going to touch me and wipe away the tears from my eyes. And death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. What if I told you that Christmas was the answer to all life's pain? What if I told you that it was hope in the midst of sorrow? Are you connecting the dots yet? Do you realize that Christmas isn't just some cute story? It's about God making a way. That baby born in the manger was a savior. He was Emmanuel, God with us. He came so that we could be with him forever. See, one day, because God came and lived our life, one day God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. One day the one thing that stands in the way of you, which is death, will be no more. There will be no mourning There will be no crying. There will be no pain anymore. Aren't you looking forward to that day? Guys, the reason why I did this message is because I think some of us need to hear that. I think you need to know that God's past faithfulness is a guarantee of his future faithfulness. And because Christmas is true, you can hold on to this in the midst of what you're going through right now. I think some of you need to know that the Bible is about God bringing the world back to the way that it was supposed to be. And the birth of our Savior is God's answer to the mess of this world. So he says in verse 5, And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. I think you need to know that God wants to make all things new. Everything you're going through right now, it's the great reversal, my friends. It's God's way of making the world new. And he said, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. Notice that, that's past tense. When Jesus was on the cross, what does he say? It is finished. He doesn't say try harder or I'll get to it. He says it's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have a heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. Maybe today, again, you need to hear those words. God came to bring you into his family. Like, are you thirsty? Feel dehydrated from the world that we live in, the weariness of this world? Jesus says, I am living water. I came to give you life, a life that will never run dry. Do you need a heritage? Do you need to know that your life matters? Well, Christmas is the answer. It's God's way of adopting you into his family. You see, like all good stories, every good story needs a beginning and an end. But it also needs a hero. If you don't believe me, go listen to any Disney movie on the planet. They just mimic the Bible. You need a beginning and an end, and you need a hero. See, but the, the reality is, the difference between Disney and the Bible is this one's true. This one's true. It's the best story ever told because it's true. 
God has done a great thing. God bringing the world back to the way that it was supposed to be. Jesus, our hero, except he's not like every other hero. He's the most unlikely hero that came in the most unexpected way. You see, your king, your king came in a, as a baby in a barn, not a king in a palace. He came as a poor homeless man, not as a dignitary. He came from a broken lineage. He didn't come from perfect suburbia. He didn't grow up in Milton. He came to die so that he could conquer. Your king came in the most powerful way. Listen, he came to lay down his life so that he could love you. And if you don't understand that, all powerful things come with sacrifice. I think about maybe the most powerful image to me is the way that my wife over the last eight years of our kid's life have sacrificed everything. She sacrificed her career, sleepless nights, right? She sacrificed literally her body. And what she's found is an inseparable bond between a mom and a daughter or a son. I think about a soldier that goes off to war who sacrificed his life so that we could experience the freedom that we often take for granted. And then you think about a savior. See, Jesus could have just been done with us, and yet he doesn't. He sacrificed the most precious thing, his very self. You think about a love so amazing, so divine, that would come to sacrifice for us. The God-man would come and become a man. He would live your perfect life and die your death so that you could have hope. This is what Christmas is. It's a story that can change your eternity because it's true if you would just receive it. Christmas, Christmas actually has meaning. Here's what it means. I want to give you three things that I think Christmas means for you as we wrap up. Number one is this. Christmas means grace. See, the story of the Bible is a story of grace. It's an offer that's too good to refuse. If the Old Testament is a reflection of our lives, the continual cycle of virtue and defeat, virtue and defeat, which we all live in, well, then the New Testament Christmas, if you will, is an offer of salvation by grace alone. It's not try harder, it's, it is finished. It's God coming down into this world to offer you a fresh start, a new beginning. The reality, though, is it's by grace. It costs you nothing, and yet it costs him everything. That's the gift of salvation. Christmas is the gift for you. Now, you see, here's the difference between Christmas and Christianity and every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world states that salvation points to something. Your prophet points to salvation. The Bible says Jesus is your salvation. See the difference? Because Jesus lived your perfect life in your place, he actually can give you life if you'll just look to him. If you will submit to him and give your life to him, he can actually change your life now. He can give you joy now. The greatest gift ever given was the Savior being born into this world. Paid in full, a salvation given for you. Which leads to number two. Christmas means a new reality. You see, if Christmas was a, a cute story that gave good examples, then it couldn't actually change you. But that's not what Christmas is. Christmas is the most historically valid event in history. Let me tell you some things we can all agree on. Even if you're not a Christian, here's some things you can agree on. Here's the first one. We all agree, every historian agrees that a man named Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. And then 30-something years after his birth, he died. 
Now, here's the thing that most people cannot account for, and yet it's true, is somehow, miraculously, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people started worshiping him immediately. No religion has ever had that acclaim. So historians are baffled by the fact that you had a man who was born, who died, and immediately a movement started that nobody can account for. Not only that, during that same exact time, the writers of the Bible, a man named Paul, he wrote something ridiculous. He says, did you know there's over 500 of you, which is more people that's in this room, who have actually seen Jesus after he died and rose from the dead, and you guys are still alive. What we know about literature is you would never write that if it wasn't true, because not only did nobody want the, the, the Christmas story to survive, they, they were actively killing these guys. Well, if it was a lie, then it would have never been published. Not only does Paul say that, but then you have John, who starts 1 John off by saying that they saw Jesus. Luke, the historian, says he set out to write an eyewitness account of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, which means he accounts for the resurrection. See, the Christmas story can change you because it really happened. It, it really happened. Listen, you don't have to take my word for it. I'm so confident in this. Not only did I give my life to it, but I would just tell you, go check it out for yourself. Like, don't take my word for it. Take some time to research it because too many of us either throw it out or we just blindly believe it. I don't think either of those should happen. I think you should investigate it. Because what you'll find, like C.S. Lewis, the great Oxford professor found, is there's no other reality than Jesus being Lord. I promise you, if you'll try to find this out on your own, what you will find is that it actually happened. And because it actually happened, it can change your reality, and you need to respond to it. Now, here's the third one. Christmas fixes the relationship. You see, in the beginning of the story, the thing that broke most was our relationship with God. The thing that died was our relationship with God. And the thing that he came back to heal was our relationship with God. It's the most important thing about you. It's why you long for something more. It's why you feel this, earth, uh, this angst inside of your heart that says, there's gotta be more to life than this. It's why C.S. Lewis, that Oxford professor, said this. If you find in ourselves a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, then the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. See, that's true. You were made for another world. This isn't the way it was supposed to be. And something deep inside of you knows that that's true. You know that there's got to be more to life than this. Well, Christmas makes that fellowship with God possible again. Jesus made a way. You see, Christmas and the incarnation means that God went to infinite lengths to make himself one whom could be known personally. Think about that. The God of the universe who spoke and it all came into being says you can know him personally. Do you know why that matters? Do you know why this picture of Christmas matters so much? Do you know why when you read this Bible properly it matters so much? Because what it does is it gives you hope right now. See, the reality is if God came down, he didn't just come to be born as a savior 2,000 years ago. He came to be born inside of every single one of us right now to give you hope in this world, to live here now so that one day you can enjoy all those things in eternity, but yet you don't have to wait to get there. It tells you that what you're doing right now matters, that the life you're living matters to God, that it wasn't a mess up, and that he is in control of all of it. You see, God is so holy and so transcendent and yet so mighty and so loving that you can have the power of God 
and the personalness of God at the same time in Christmas. Because God came down, you can go back up to him. Because God was born, you can now experience him personally. Christmas is the answer to all the questions that all of us ask all the time. Do I matter? You matter enough that God would come into his own creation to save you. What's going to happen when I die? You know what you're going to do? You're going to come right back here one day, and you're going to live in your body. Now, it might be perfected. He might give you some abs or whatever. I don't, I don't know. You can ask him one day. But you're going to enjoy. You're going to cultivate. You're going to do what you were always meant to do, yet without any, any suffering or pain. You're going to smile, and you're going to look at the beauty of creation and, and the children that you have, and, and it's all going to make sense, and God's going to tell you, hey, I never messed up. Even in the corruption, I came to give you something better. And right now, right now, when none of it seems to be true, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to look back and remember Christmas so that whenever you unwrap your gifts tomorrow, you unwrap the gift of grace that says, you know what, I haven't forgotten about you. You know, if I were to write this story, I wouldn't have written it like this, just to be honest with you. If I were the Savior coming into the world, I'd have had a chorus of people. I, I think like... Uh, I'd have people singing songs, angels everywhere, like a band playing for me. I'd have been a king riding in on a horse. He doesn't do it that way. You realize that? God came down in the greatest of ironies. He came down born in a manger, not in a palace. He came as a homeless refugee. His birth announcement wasn't to dignitaries. It was to the lowest of low. And he came down in such an ordinary way so that he could do the most extraordinary thing. He came to give your life meaning. So if you think that you were too low for God, well, the Christmas story is it's not possible. If you came to think that God can't love you, well, the Christmas story is he's already proven his love for you. He proved his love for you by living your life, and he proved his power over your life by raising from the dead. I love the way that my friend J.D. Greer said it. Listen to this. He says, if Christmas is true, that means that the power of the resurrection is available to you right now. Right now. If Christmas is true, that means that God can resurrect your life now. He can give you joy now. You don't have to wait and live a miserable life and then one day figure it all out. No, he wants to give you something unimaginable right now. Let me end by showing you this Tim Keller quote. Listen to what he says. This is Christmas. The Christian life begins not with high deeds and achievements, but with the most simple and ordinary act of humble asking. Because Christ came in weakness and in smallness to save not the proud, but those who admit that they are also weak and small and need a Savior. Maybe today it's you. Maybe today's the day that you need to come with humble asking. Not begging to a king that you're afraid of, but to a king that came so low so that he could raise you up. See, again, I wanted to do this today differently because I think that we all need something a little more tangible, a little more solid. We need hope. Here's, here's what I want you to reflect on is, have you come low enough in your humble asking for a king? Maybe you're watching online or you're in the room and you don't come to church very often and that's okay. Like, I'm, not, I'm glad you're here. But maybe today's the day that you actually put the, the pieces together. Like the whole thing is on purpose. God didn't mess it up. From Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 21, the whole thing 
was meant to give you life. And God came to give that to you. And Christmas is the gap in the middle to make it all possible. So what if today, what if today is the day that you just prayed that prayer and asked God, God, would you come? Would you come to be my Savior? If that's you, I want to I invite you to do that. And even if you are a Christ follower, maybe you just need hope. You need to know like God didn't mess it up then and he didn't mess it up in the last two years either. Like he's in control and he knows what he's doing and somehow, some way, he's going to make all of this. He's going to make all of this more glorifying to himself. I don't know how, but what I do know is he's done it in the most miraculous and the most mind-blowing ways before. He'll do it again. So let me pray for you and maybe you're that first category. I want to pray that God would give you more of him, that he would change your eternity. If you're in the second one, I want to pray that you leave with hope. Jesus, thank you for Christmas. God, thank you that you really are real. Lord, you really did come. You really came to give us life. And I pray that you would, um, I pray that you would be born inside of some of us right now. God, those of us who maybe came into this room as skeptics, I don't really know if we believe you. God, I pray that somebody would take that step to give their life to you because you, God, are, you're amazing. You're loving, you're kind. You fulfilled every requirement for us to be back with you. So Father, we wanna give you our life, all of it. If it's for the first time today, and God, for others, that are Christ followers, I pray that we would give you our life in some humble submission to trust you, to trust you in the midst of the darkness, to know that you are light breaking through, that you are love and kindness, that you are in control. God, would you remind us that Christmas is, if you will, the gift that keeps on giving. Help us to remember that in these, these hard times. Sustain us in every way that we need, I pray in Jesus' name.